This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Although routine screening for urinary malignancy is not recommended, a urinalysis is commonly ordered by primary care providers and patients requesting a comprehensive physical exam. As a result, we see patients with microscopic hematuria and less commonly patients report episodes of gross hematuria. Malignancy is the most ominous cause of the hematuria, but fortunately, other causes are much more likely. So when should we investigate hematuria and how should the evaluation be done? Which patients are at greater risk for a urinary tract malignancy? These are just some of the questions I'll be asking Dr. Aaron Protetsky, a urologist at the Mayo Clinic. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I have been looking forward to this and get all my questions answered about hematuria because it's something that you see often and you hardly ever find a serious cause, but sometimes you do. So you can't really ignore it. So let's start by asking you to give us the definition of microhematuria because that's what we see most often. How many red cells does that take? Microscopic hematuria is defined by the presence of three or more red blood cells per high par field when the urine specimen is evaluated under a microscope. So commonly you and you, your colleagues and me and my colleagues will get questions about patients who have maybe on their routine urine analysis, so-called dipstick hematuria, where either hemoglobin or the blood reactant um, will come back positive. That's different than microscopic hematuria. Those types of findings should prompt a microscopic evaluation. So when we get a urinalysis here, and I don't know if this is true everywhere, but we now get number of red blood cells per high power field. And we're also getting a comment on hemoglobin present, do they imply the same thing? If one is positive and the other not, can we assume that still represents uh, blood in the urine? I would say that the positivity on that test for hemoglobin, all that should do is prompt a microscopic evaluation. You shouldn't do any other tests into the urinary tract other than to just look for the actual presence of red blood cells. That's good to know. So let's talk about the differences in cause of a patient who comes in with an episode of gross hematuria versus what we find under the microscope. What are some of the common causes of both or either? So either gross hematuria or microscopic hematuria can be caused by a lot of the same things, really. We just generally think that the presence of gross hematuria is more alarming. And largely that relates to the fact that, unfortunately, in patients with gross hematuria, we do more commonly find a general urinary malignancy. So in patients who have gross hematuria, about 13% of the time actually will find a cancer somewhere in the GU tract. So kidney, ureter, bladder, prostate, urethra, et cetera. Whereas in patients with microscopic hematuria, only about 3% of people have an underlying cancer as their etiology. So that's sort of the, the main thing. Now, merely having gross hematuria, you know, shouldn't alarm a patient or a provider into thinking that they definitely have a malignancy because as you suggest, there are a lot of 
causes for benign gross hematuria. So you're seeing a fair number of patients now on chronic anticoagulation or possibly even uh, low-dose aspirin. Should those patients be treated any differently than we see some uh, microhematuria on their urinalysis? Yeah, this is another superb question um, and one that's really important because I think that it would be very reasonable to blame the presence of microscopic hematuria on an anticoagulant or an antiplatelet drug. But in fact, we recommend pretty, and it's in our guidelines, pretty strongly that patients independent of their anticoagulation or antiplatelet status have a microscopic hematuria evaluation based on their risk stratification. So said in another way, we shouldn't treat patients with microscopic hematuria any different whether or not they're on an antiplatelet or anticoagulant. Okay. What are some, let's say we get a urinalysis and we see some microscopic hematuria. What are some questions the primary care provider should ask the patient before we launch into a, an evaluation of them? Yeah, I think the biggest things would be, you know, whether they're having any concurrent irritative or other uh, lower urinary tract symptoms. So have they had new urgency, frequency, dysuria, incontinence, those sorts of things? Are they having new flank pain? What we're really looking to get at there is, you know, might they have a urinary tract infection? I think also knowing about in women, when they most recently menstruated, if they're having their menses at the time where they appreciate this hematuria, whether it's gross or microscopic, I think some things that come up are even dietary. You know, the kind of famous one is people who have a beet salad the night before might have gross hematuria. Um, so that can be easily explained. Otherwise, you know, recent changes in activity, it would seem obvious, but you know, maybe they recently had a catheter or, or a urologic procedure that you didn't know about or any other sort of change in activity, whether they had a lot of strenuous activity, rode a bicycle for a long time, even sometimes uh, intercourse can cause patients to have short-lived microscopic hematuria. So knowing about some of those things is of course important. And then probably the most important where there's an actual concern for potentially a malignant cause is family history. You know, you want to get the patient's family history as it pertains to bladder, kidney, ureteral, prostate cancer, and those sorts of things. Particularly, we'd be interested in patients with a family history of Lynch syndrome. So you mentioned family history of genital urinary malignancy. How do we assess a patient's risk? I mean, that's really what we're concerned about. Does this patient have some type of malignancy? How do we assess their risk for a genital urinary malignancy? Previous to 2020, there was a American Urological Association guideline, which did not necessarily account for an individual patient's relative risk for a malignancy. And most patients with microscopic hematuria went on to have a cystoscopy and some form of contrasted upper tract imaging. If it's okay, I'll just make a little shout out to my colleague, uh, Steve Borgian, who's a urologic oncologist here, was actually one of the co-lead authors of our new set of guidelines. And they, he and his colleagues found that there are some major cutoffs in risk um, based on some pretty easily identifiable information for any given patient. So the things we look at are sex, woman or man, biologically, their smoking status, the quantification of basically how many red blood cells they had on their urine analysis and whether they have any known risk factors. So like we talked about family history or occupational exposures, those sorts of things. 
It's a little much maybe to talk about it. It's helpful to sort of see this table and, and that's on the AUA's website. But generally speaking, high-risk patients are any person 60 or older, anyone who has smoked 30 pack years or more, anyone with greater than 25 red blood cells per high power field, or if they've had gross hematuria. Low-risk patients have to meet all of the following. Women under the age of 50, men under the age of 40, never smoker or fewer than 10 pack years of smoking, and just three to 10 red blood cells per high power field. And then they can't have any of the occupational or family risk factors. And then intermediate risk of it is everyone in between. That's a lot to memorize, but um, there, are, there are nice tables that you can look at easily. All right. So you've categorized them into low risk and high risk. Let's say we have a patient who has uh, three to 10 red cells per high power field, and they're at high risk. Do they get the full urologic investigation? Yes. Just in brief review, the, the full urologic investigation then would be, of course, of history and physical, but then a cystoscopy, camera in the bladder, and then a, ideally some form of contrasted upper tract imaging. The mainstay, of course, is CT urogram, but we also use things like MR urogram or retrograde pilography um, in combination with a non-contrasted exam. Now, I have seen some patients from elsewhere where they had an investigation of a cystoscopy and an ultrasound of the kidneys. Now, is that adequate? Under the new guidelines, that would be adequate for either a low or intermediate risk patient. It would not be adequate for a high-risk patient. So high-risk patient, cystoscopy, and some contrast-mediated uh, imaging study. Correct. Let's look at the low-risk patients now. What do we do with them? Three to 10 red cells per high power field. So they can ultimately decide after hearing about the risks and benefits of these investigations. Ultimately, we ask providers to, whether that's a family medicine, internal medicine, geriatrician, urologist, to undergo shared decision-making with the patient to understand the risks and benefits of further testing. But if you have a low-risk patient, they can either go right ahead to cystoscopy and ultrasound of the kidneys, or wait six months or so to have a repeat urine analysis and microscopy. Oftentimes, the hematuria will resolve and then no further investigation is required. If it persists, then by definition, they'd sort of move up into that intermediate risk category. Well, I can tell you what they're going to say when I offer them cystoscopy yes. or recheck your analysis. But... Yes. Yes. No, especially when you describe the logistics of a cystoscopy, many patients will prefer a repeat urine analysis and I don't blame them. <laughs> no, I don't either. So what about the patient who we do an investigation and, uh, find nothing, whether it be low risk or high risk patient, and they continue to have microhematuria. What do we do with them? In patients with persistent microscopic hematuria, they would need an evaluation. So again, if they sort of deferred and just wanted to have a repeat urine analysis, now they need a cystoscopy and an ultrasound. And in patients where they have previously undergone those studies and it persists, and at this point, maybe we're talking about a year or so that it's persists, then we would talk more about the potential benefits of using a contrasted modality. So again, CT urogram, MR urogram, or retrograde pilography. Each of those tests, the contrasted upper tract 
imaging tests are a little bit more sensitive for intraluminal changes in the collecting system of the kidney or the ureter. While problems in those areas are quite rare, really quite rare, if you haven't yet investigated it and you have this persistent hematuria, it's probably worthwhile to look into those areas. And how about the patient who's had the contrast CT, cystoscopy, and next year continues to have microhematuria? The modern guidelines say that now we should just talk to those patients about the risks and benefits of having another set of tests. The guidelines do not specifically recommend an interval after which a repeat full assessment should be made again. Myself, you know, I think it really depends on the patient and, you know, assessment of their risk factors. Patients with more risk factors, you're going to surveil at closer intervals. We generally say that a three to five year timeline, if, if you have persistent microscopic key material without a good explanation is probably a reasonable time. But again, that's not necessarily data-driven and not within our guidelines, but I think that's a good general rule. Okay. Now you haven't mentioned urine cytology. Is that a part of any of this other than what you may obtain at cystoscopy? We actually recommend even at the time of cystoscopy foregoing cytology in most patients. So the patients who should undergo cytology testing are those with gross hematuria or those who have previously undergone a negative microscopic hematuria evaluation, continue to have microscopic hematuria, and also complain of irritative voiding symptoms, those being urgency, frequency, maybe, you know, dysuria or maybe incontinence, those sorts of things. Really what we're trying to look for in those settings are car patients with risk factors for carcinoma in situ, which might be a little bit more difficult to detect on cystoscopy. And because they're flat lesions, a little bit more difficult to detect even on contrasted upper tract imaging. Well, you mentioned the uh, malignancy being fairly uncommon. I think you mentioned 3% in the low risk group. When we look at patients. Statistically, what do we find? What are the most common causes of microhematuria in uh, low-risk patients? Yeah, I think that the most common causes are usually benign ones, such as a urinary tract infection. I think especially in the older population, that, that's a common finding. I have sort of a bias experience, you know, being in urology, of course, but we see a lot of patients with kidney stones. That's a common cause. Often there is a collection during uh, a woman's menstrual period, and that can make interpretation of the urine specimen more challenging. And so that can be a cause. And, and that just requires a repeat urine analysis when um, a patient isn't menstruating. There are some intrinsic renal problems, um, some you know, interstitial nephritis, glomerular nephritis, of course, trauma. There are some hematologic things that can come up, infection, inflammation. Um, and then like we talked about, some foods or medications can also cause it. So again, the vast majority of patients will have one of those things as opposed to a malignancy. Really briefly, if I may, the risk stratification can actually help give you an idea of your odds of finding a urologic malignancy as well as patients within the low risk group actually have a 0.2% chance of having a malignancy. These are all microscopic hematuria patients. The patients in the intermediate risk group have a 1.6% chance of malignancy and the patients in the high risk group have an 11% chance. So that's where when you combine all that, that's where you get the 3% for microscopic hematuria. 
So low risk, but just enough to keep you honest. Correct. I want to go back to something you said earlier about uh, the possibility of a uh, urinary tract infection causing this. Can you see UTIs in patients with just plain hematuria and no pyuria? And many elderly patients often have no symptoms, but do we need to have pyuria with the red cells for a UTI? Yeah, I would very strongly recommend against diagnosing a urinary tract infection merely based on red blood cells. I would say that pyuria is important. And then ultimately, the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority of urinary tract infections can be diagnosed with a urine culture. But it's important to remember that they should have symptoms associated with that. So if a person is complaining of no lower urinary tract symptoms, urgency, frequency, dysuria, new onset, incontinence, that sort of thing, but has bacteria, that's totally okay. All right. Well, you mentioned an excellent resource for this topic, uh, the recent publication by the uh, AUA, and I think we can link to that at the end of this podcast, but that's an excellent resource for this. And uh, for those readers who want more information, that's that's something that they can read easily. Well, let's summarize our discussion. Uh, Maybe I can ask you to give us two or three key points that uh, kind of summarize our discussion on hematuria. Again, as a urologist, we have a very biased perspective, but I think the data would support that really, even though, as you've said, well, the risks of having something ominous, something bad is quite low. I really don't think that any cases of microscopic hematuria can really be totally ignored without a a workup. And and often that workup can just be another urine analysis to confirm that it went away. Um, But otherwise it should be worked up. And then I think the other sort of major thing in 2021, as opposed to a few years ago, is that we are being more data-driven and conscious of risks of expense and also radiation in how we work these patients up. So the patients who are at the higher risk still get ionizing radiation uh, to evaluate their upper tracts and patients at low risk can be observed or have less expensive and some imaging tests that don't necessarily submit someone to radiation. So those are the major things that I think have changed in these last couple of years. Great. Thank you, Aaron. Well, we've been discussing the causes and evaluation of hematuria with Dr. Aaron Protetsky, a urologist at the Mayo Clinic. Aaron, I have learned a lot about a condition I see at least once or twice a week. So I thank you very much for that. And uh, thanks for sharing your expertise with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, you can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week.